With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. I will tell you that when this is over, whenever that is, you will enter a changed world. Because remember, we live in a world economy. Like, you may not you may not speak German, but believe me, your wallet does. Okay. Um, Good quote. But the point is, we have productive workers who should be producing. And, and the way we have shut the economy down is not the way an economist would do it. It's the way a virologist would do it. When do people make that uh, mathematical decision? Like, because there's collateral fatalities from, you know, closing down the hospitals for other illnesses. Yeah. And there's collateral fatalities from every decrease in GDP. So I can actually give you two really interesting answers here because I'm both on the Federal Reserve and I'm also on the Board of Trustees of Washington University, which has one of the world's best medical schools. So pleased to have as my guest today, Jim McKelvey. He is, of course, the co-founder of Square, which he co-founded with Jack Dorsey, who is the CEO of Twitter. Square, you probably know it. You've probably used it a million times. It does the credit card processing for almost 25% of all the companies in America. It's that little thing where you attach to your iPhone and you can run a credit card through it. So Huge business, multi-billion dollar business. Jim's netted over a billion dollars himself from this business. And for the purpose of this conversation, this might even be more important. He is the deputy chair of the St. Louis Federal Reserve. And of course, the Federal Reserve is pumping trillions of dollars of stimulus into the economy. I've been curious about his perspectives from both the square side about how businesses are doing now and also from the Federal Reserve side. Like, how does it all work? How does the stimulus get into the economy? What's going to happen? What are the dangers? What are the risks? What should we watch out for? What data are they watching out for at the top secret internal Federal Reserve meetings? The podcast starts with me going right into what he learned at the latest Federal Reserve meeting held that day. And so this was recorded on Thursday evening. Have fun and uh, let me know your feedback on Twitter. Thanks. So, so we could, we could keep the, this has been off the record we, and we can keep this off the record, but, but I'm just curious, why was the, uh, fed meeting brutal? I mean, I saw the data, but I, and I have questions about it, but. So, um, it was the data. I mean, the, the, and the analogy that they were using was that we knew we were taking a roller coaster ride and we're about to go into the first terrifying drop. 
and it started. So we're in we're in this sort of weird economic freefall where there is um there's an expected pullout at some point. Um but you know, it's terrifying when you actually see the data start rolling in. And so we saw the data this morning. Um and it was uh pretty pretty dire. I mean, you know, like I don't know if I told you the analogy that uh that almost got me kicked out of the Fed. Uh uh so Jim Bullard, who's the president of the St. Louis Fed, said, this is like you're driving along at 70 miles an hour and then you hit a construction zone and you slow down to 20 and drive for a while. And then once you're past construction, you reaccelerate. Uh, that's his analogy for what the economy is going to do. And I said, yeah, well, you know, it seems like more like you're in a coma and you're in the hospital. And the only good news is that it's not some sort of random coma. It's like the doctor induced a coma for therapeutic reasons. Like we were health, you, you know, you had a you had a healthy patient that had some other malady that they needed to induce a coma. So they've induced a coma, and you're now in a coma. And hopefully they'll pull you out when they want to pull you out, as opposed to most comas, which is sort of like, hey, you could be in there forever. So um, you know, I think I think your analogy is dead on because if you look at what they're calling the stimulus package, you can't really stimulate a patient in a coma that's on the verge of death you, no. you, maybe maybe you can provide a, a band-aid to stop bleeding so they stay alive a little bit longer but for stimulus to work you need people you need you need an economy you need people outside yeah. going to stores and going to restaurants and I, i'm not suggesting anything one way or the other but you just you need an economy you can't have everybody just going on twitter arguing all day that's not an economy no, 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 no. That is a what is it? What's what would that? We need a word for that. That's a bickery. Uh, yeah, like so, social anger, s- snarkonomy, social angst. It's the yeah, it's the snarkonomy. Uh, unsocial media. You ever yes. notice that the word uh, social network? It used to be called social networks, where you would actually like, hey, Jim, let's be friends on social networks. Yeah. Now it really is media, where like it's almost like people broadcast their opinion to their specific opinion ghetto yeah. and then everyone just argues and that's it. So it is really is social media instead of a social network now. Yeah, and I would add, I would I would add that I think the social is uh in small print and the media right. is in large print now. Yeah. 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 So so um you know actually let's let's talk a little about the data because I'm I'm curious your thoughts and then I want to kind of so I'll introduce you after this. I'll give a, a full introduction on, okay. and on your book, and I'll I'll mention how much the book has affected me. Which, by the way, Jim, I have thought a lot about your book since our since our first podcast because, and 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 I thought about our, our our podcast too. The idea that you said where if you're going to build a service that where you're serving the bottom third in a particular market, that is such a great way to think about new business models in this day and age, particularly, you know, this crisis aside, particularly as the bottom third in almost every, no matter how you define a market, the bottom third is having a rising standard of living. So it's, it's such an interesting way to look at business models. It's, uh, yeah. And, um, uh, ironically, James, uh, living through it again. I mean, Square is literally, as we speak, uh, kicking out, uh, loans, which was not really a major part of our business. Uh, but we're doing uh, these micro loans to businesses, 
uh, in some cases, not micro. We're, we're trying to be the rails to get all these uh, companies, which, look, they're legitimate companies, but what they are not is they are not plugged in. So they a lot of them don't have existing banking relationships. Uh, some of them don't have payroll records. Like A lot of them are, are businesses that work, but they're not in the system. And the system was never built for those people. And when they went into the banks, the banks said, oh, uh, we'll take a number uh, behind you know, these 500 other companies that we're used to dealing with. Um, and so none of those guys got money on the first round, or very, very few. I won't say none. I can't say none. But a, a shockingly small number of small businesses actually got the stimulus money that's now run out. Um, but Square is now rapidly building the plumbing. Uh, to enable these companies to have all that access. Hopefully, it's going to work. I mean, we're waiting for the government to fund us now, but we just got approved last Friday. But I mean, again, it's it's an innovation sack. It's, it's, and it's exactly the same. Like, it's, 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 it's funny because, you know, here I am eating my own dog food. Uh, and my company, you know, frankly, without my much of my guidance, uh, did exactly what I said should be done, which is pick an area that was unserved, which is these little, little guys... Like they can't get bank loans because they don't have banking relationships, and now hopefully with Square they're going to be able to. So, like, what's an example of a small business that doesn't have a banking relationship that you're able to help? Uh, well, um, uh, I'm I'm thinking so when you say small business, I'm thinking of every uh, you know, every food truck that I frequent. Oh um, uh, yeah, all right, know, that's a good point. Uh, you know, and when I say banking relationship, do I mean they have a checking account at Chase or or BOA? Yeah, they might have a checking account. But do they know the name of the loan officer? Have they been in, you know, 15 times in the last uh, five years to, uh, you know, uh, to socialize? Like the people who are getting the loans right now are the people who literally go to the ball games with the bankers. Right. And it's appalling to see the level of sort of insider baseball, if I can continue the analogy, uh, that is being played because there's um, – uh, look, I, and, and I'm not blaming the bankers. Like I'm not saying that – like if I was a banker and I had a customer who'd been with me for years and I knew uh, him or her personally and uh, you know his business was on the line uh, versus somebody I'd never worked with before who just happened to have a you know little checking account or you know maybe some you know sort of tiny relationship with my bank like I'm going to give my attention and therefore the access to this loan to the person that I've been working with so I'm not faulting the bankers for treating their best customers the best but I'm just saying. In this situation, like where you want the money to go is to the most endangered parts of the ecosystem. These are the smallest businesses. Right. And so there's 28 million yeah. small businesses in the U.S. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of them are just not plumbed into the financial systems. So the good news is uh, Square's now been approved. Um, it was Square approved, paper. approved as sort of like a bank or approved as a processor of these well, uh, loans. Both, actually. <laughs> um, so we got our ILC. Uh, that was about a month ago. Um, uh, so we now kind of have this quasi-bank entity, but it's so brand new, we're not using it. Uh, we're actually uh, uh, partnering with the existing banks that we've been working with. So Square has connections with banks. So, like, the last thing you want to do is add another new thing in your in in your chain when you're uh, in the middle of uh, you know running running as fast as you can. Um, so we're, um, uh, we're using our existing connections, but, um, uh, PayPal and Square and Intuit have all been approved as non-bank entities who can provide, uh, PPP access. And will the federal reserve, uh, backstop your loans the same way they're doing for banks? Like, can you make the loan 
take the service fee and no. then instantly resell the loan to the Federal Reserve? No, no, that's, I mean, I, we, we'd love to have that happen, but that's not how it works. Uh, so this is a program that the Treasury Department routes through the Small Business Administration. So um, unfortunately, the SBA to the government looked like the perfect vehicle because, well, they're used to dealing with small businesses. Like, where do we go for small business? Well, we have this part of the government called the SBA. Unfortunately, the SBA is a massively antiquated system and a lot of paper, uh, you know, months to apply for an SBA loan. A lot of, I mean, look, and again, I'm not knocking the system. It, it, it served its purpose but you couldn't just scale that process up because there was too much paper and too much waiting and you know too many uh, uh, just slow things. So all that had to be essentially retooled in about a week and a half. And the SBA servers crashed, oh my God, they crashed 40 times in one day. Um, hmm. Once for four hours, or over four hours, actually. We think it was more like six. We, I don't actually know. It's somewhere between four and six hours on Monday the servers just flatlined. And these were the servers that were approving everybody's loans in the e-tran system. Wow. So, I mean, again, it wasn't built for that. Uh, the good news is that the electronic companies had better rails. So hopefully we'll, hopefully on round two, we'll get it right. Now, I thought I thought the Federal Reserve had stepped in uh, and said, we'll, we'll buy, because the banks were afraid to take the risk. So the Federal Reserve st- stepped in and said, look, you could sell us the loans that cost if you want after you make them. Uh, that is for a certain type of loan. Yes, that is correct too. Um, so the, the Fed's stepping in in half a dozen different ways. Um, they've had um, uh, most effect where people have never even seen it, which are, there are all these weird markets. Like you don't think, oh, well, why should I as an individual care about, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the, uh, uh, like the bond market um, uh, or the currency swap market or, or, or any of these things. And, and what you realize is that if, if those parts of the plumbing don't work, uh, your toilet backs up, you know, like right. it, it, it eventually well, flows back into your house. Well, uh, well, like, let's say, let's say for instance, corporate bonds crashed me and which makes it harder for companies to, 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 borrow money in the normal, like they normally do in the normal course of business, then other parts of the economy that might even be still open are going to shut down. And, and the people owning those bonds, their portfolios will go down in value, which might trigger bank losses or hedge fund losses or mutual fund losses, which, which trigger down to the everyday person. So it all, it all, they're all connected. Yeah. And, 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 and they're also mentally connected. I mean, what you just described is a, is a legitimate uh, sort of chain of, of reactions. There's also the emotional reaction when a market that always you just assume is going to function stops functioning. So I'll give you an example. Let's say I come home tonight and all the power's out of my house. And then I look down the street and all the power's out. Um, I might run out and buy toilet paper. Right. Right. Toilet paper has nothing to do with electricity, you know, but the fact that the electricity, which is a thing I depend on, is not working causes me as a human to just panic in other ways. So like keeping these markets functioning uh, is important both because the markets need to function and also because if they don't function, then the panic effect uh, is, is, is a ripple. I mean, it's sort of like the coronavirus itself. Like one of the things that, that, that kills people is this we think, uh, overreaction of the body's immune system, you know, 
And sometimes the overreaction is actually more deadly than, than the pathogen. Um, and so one of the things that Fed has been doing, I think, uh, quite a good job at is, is calming these other markets that no normal person needs to know, but just know that the Fed is there doing this. And I've, I've, I could look up a paper, there are probably eight different programs that, uh, that we talked about that where they're, where they're you know, interceding and basically saying, hey, look, we got this, don't worry. And part right, so of that keeps the economy functioning. So, so, so the the basic function of the Federal Reserve in in this sense, when they when they adjust interest rates, is they buy the most basic government bonds out there, and 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 these Treasury bills, I forget what duration, and that everything ripples from there. So, if if Treasury bills are have one percent interest because the Fed's buying them enough to to create that interest rate, then all other bonds and other you know interest rate backed or interest rate focused assets are priced accordingly from that one thing. But now because all assets are in chaos, the Fed has been what's what, what one would call moving up the curve and buying not just government bills, but let's call it mortgage-backed securities, yep. potentially corporate debt, insurance on on these uh, corporate debt and mortgage-backed securities and so on. So that in, people who have been invested all along aren't penalized because the government is saying, hey, we got to pause for a while. Yeah, you don't want any part of the financial system to break, even if it requires a bit of unusual um, temporary buying, you want to keep those things functioning because it's uh, it ripples through too fast if you let one part of it break. Yeah, like in two thousand, I think the lesson was learned like in two thousand eight when uh, you know they, they they broke the dollar, like money market yeah, funds started trading for less than a dollar. Yeah, yeah. That created a, a panic. Yep. And the Federal Reserve had to open the window for commercial paper, which actually, and, and I know we're getting a little bit in the weeds and I want to get it kind of into the bigger picture. Yeah, we're, and we're losing, we're, we're destroying your podcast here. Like no, this, no, no, no. It, this is going to okay. be killing, killing you in some way. No, I mean, no. Because I know I can't even talk to my friends about this stuff. No, no, I, I love it. I, the, one, <laughs> yes. the one thing, the, the very first thing the Fed did uh, initially was they kind of, quote unquote, opened their window for commercial paper. Yep. And I'm just, I, I think it's important for people to understand that, that some of these basic concepts. So is that, it, what that means, I think, and you correct me, is that companies, you know, on a daily basis, they need money for, for daily needs like payroll or buying toilet paper or whatever. And they, they borrow overnight, you know, if depending on where, where their inflows of cash are coming from, they might not have the right amount of cash in the, in the bank account. If they're a multi-billion dollar company with branches all over the world, so they go to the bank just to kind of keep things smooth. The bank usually gives the money at like zero point whatever percent interest and they pay it back the next day. But the bank stopped lending because there was uh, worries about liquidity. And what does it mean that the Federal Reserve opens up their window for, to satisfy the what this so-called commercial paper? So, I mean, uh, the, the, the discount window that you're referring to is, is um, used for the Feds to actively encourage banks to borrow money at ultra low interest rates. That just basically makes sure that they're funds of the banks. Okay. Um, so if you want to sort of list of the, the programs that the Fed has been working on in uh, the last week, it's it's bond purchases where uh, they, they purchase a range of Morgan and mortgage and uh, government bonds and and that keeps the the, the rates low for for those thing for the for those instruments. Um, then there's something called uh, repurchase agreements or, or repos and the repo market is a key piece of the financial systems infrastructure and it's sort of arcane so I wouldn't like stress about it but it's working uh, then there are reserve requirements that it basically uh, allows 
it basically makes financial institutions hold a certain amount of reserves. So they've been lowering that. Then then these, and I know we're really esoteric here. Then these things called okay. swap lines. Okay. So because of the importance of the U.S. dollar in the global economy, um, strains of the market for borrowing and lending uh, overseas can also screw up uh, financial conditions in the United States. So like now you get the you get the cold from Germany. That's that's the way to think about it. So what the Fed does. Uh, the Fed and the central banks around the world agreed to reduce the cost on international dollar swap lines. So it's making this more efficient. And that helps other central banks control their dollar funding pressures. And it basically keeps the whole uh, world economy liquid. Because remember, we live in a world economy. Like you may not, you may not speak German, but believe me, your wallet does. Okay. Um, Good quote. Yeah. So, um, uh, and then there, then there are things called uh, credit facilities. Okay, so in a time of crisis, what the Fed does is they make available funds in the financial system through what are known as emergency facilities. Um, so you should think of these as like um, warehouses of money that are earmarked for specific purposes, um, usually like uh, purchasing ex- existing debt or to make sure that uh, borrowers have you know access to refinance debt. And so what the Fed has done is it, they've actually revived several old facilities that they had. So they, you know, stuff from 2008, they dusted off that and then they've created some new ones. Um, I mean, I can go on they, they, they do small business lending. Um, and then there's the discount window. Um, and the discount window is the one, you know, where basically banks can borrow, uh, at really low rates. So, so, I mean, and that's just, that's just the stuff that the fed's doing that nobody talks about because it's too esoteric. You know, the, the two big things that the Fed is doing um, is one, the federal funds rate, which everyone talks about, zero to a quarter percent. Okay. So that's the big one. That's the thing that everyone talks about. The other thing, and this is really important, uh, and this is, by the way, new. Uh, there's something called forward guidance. Um, and I, I don't know how geeky you want to be on economics, but what yeah, was- Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, so let's go for it. Um, uh, if, if, you, if you think back to 2008, 2009, the Fed sort of lowered the federal funds rate to at or near zero, and they were expecting economic activity to pick up, you know, because the idea here is, oh, we just made money really cheap so people will borrow money and start businesses, okay? But it didn't happen, right? And they were like, why the heck isn't it happening? Our, our, rates, our, our rates are low. And uh, the, the basic reason was because the market said, well, you're not going to trick us by, you know, giving us this low rate this month. And then as soon as we start investing, uh, we expect the Fed to jack up uh, the interest rate. And we're, you know, in these 15-year, 5-year, 10-year deals, uh, and our interest rates go through the roof. And so we're not going to do it. So, so the, the market didn't respond. So for the first time, basically, in history, the Fed gave something called forward guidance. And this is where the FOMC, that's the Federal Open Market Committee, publicly communicates its long-term plans to how a policy is going to evolve. So it, it basically gives households and businesses uh, confidence that that the Fed is not going to like have, have some sort of gotcha later, all right? And so this is actually one of the most powerful tools the Fed has. And you're seeing, uh, you know, the chairman use it. You're seeing the, the reserve banks use it. You're seeing this, 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 uh, it's talk. It's basically saying, I got your back and you could trust me and look at how we've behaved in the past. And, you know, Jay's been pretty good about this stuff. So people trust him and, and that's actually having a lot of effect. And people, people never understand that one of the great tools of the Fed, which is 
it's basically a brand new tool. You know, brand new basically being in the last 10 years. This forward, this forward guidance gives you the ability to move markets even without having to change your interest rate. So, so it's kind of like, you know, sort of like a head fake. Yeah, like not that they're well, faking it, but like just, just, you know, like I, it's like when I can control my son's behavior by giving him that look, like don't touch that or don't, like I know what you're about to do to your sister, and you and I'm, you know what I'm going to do to you if you do that to your sister, so he doesn't do it to his sister, right? Well, and I, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of analogy like think about 2003 where you have all these subprime borrowers borrowing at the ridiculously low rates that were available to them then, not realizing that the Fed was about to start raising rates considerably and they would have to pay interest payments at the much higher rates. And that's what created kind of the subprime crash later, but now just much expanded. So instead of subprime borrowers, we're talking about huge companies and banks and countries and we're giving guidance on that. Yeah, you're essentially... What what you want to do uh, is you want to have actions that are taken by the central bank reflected in the economy quickly, but that requires trust because you know the Fed. Like who who banks at the Fed? Like none of us, right? Banks bank at the Fed, so it's like right. so if but like who cares what banks do? It's really what people do and what businesses do. So you have to sort of move this action that's taken at this, you know, sort of esoteric central bank level and move it out on the main street. Well, how are you going to do that? And it turns out that one of the new tools is this forward guidance, which is really powerful. Um, and it's also one of the reasons that the Fed chairman has one of the worst jobs in the world, because if they, you know, so much as sneeze or scratch their nose, you know, sometimes the markets will go crazy. So, um, you just like, 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 I would not want Jay Powell's job. I mean, cause the poor guy, like, 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 and, and by the way, Jay Powell, he's a wonderful man. Like I once spent, you know, I had breakfast, lunch and dinner and breakfast with him and like it ended 24 and you know, you spend so much time with the guy, you, you know, you start talking about family and then you start like, he's got a great sense of humor. Like he's a funny, cool guy. And like, you cannot have a sense of humor at the head of a central bank, especially right now. But like, I, I, you know, I felt sorry for him because, you know, he's clearly an entertaining, you know, animated, fun, you know, guy that you like to have a beer with. And uh, boy, he doesn't get to show any of that. Right. And uh, right now there's so much uncertainty in the world and he's kind of, nav you know, we're the world's largest economy by far. He's He's got to navigate that. And it seems like with this stimulus package, there's, there's, two broader questions, which is one is where does, you know, Congress end and the Fed begin? And also it seems like it's it, the stimulus this time, as opposed to 2008 is broken up into short-term, medium-term, long-term. So short-term are these direct, uh, direct deposit, uh, stimulus checks, $1,200 per adult. Then, um, there's medium term, which are like these SBA loans. So once the economy reopens, uh, hopefully, furloughed workers will will come back and, and there's money in the economy. And then long-term is the traditional Fed stimulus, which tends to take, as you were even referring to, it tends to take 12 to 18 months before society kind of trusts that, you know, interest rates are low. There's not, there's not going to be quick inflation. And, and we start piling back into a normal economy. 
And uh, I've never seen this kind of short, medium, long-term stimulus done before, but of course, this is a very unusual situation. Yeah, I mean, this is completely unprecedented. And, um, you know, we've, we've never had a recession that was intentional up until now. So the economy was fine. And then for health reasons, we decided to basically create a recession, basically stop everyone from working and interacting. Um, but that's never been done. <laughs> it's just never been done. So we, we are completely uh, new territory here. Um, so, so what do you think, like, what do you think, let's even start with just the short-term, uh, stimulus, the, the, um, the, the, the so-called UBI, not, it's not really a UBI, but just the direct checks going to everybody right now, everybody's at home. So they're just going to buy, they're going to buy food with it, but it's not like everybody's planning vacations now with this money. They're, it's just a survival mechanism to, to keep people at home. You know, as, as a, as an economist, I scratch my head on that one. Because, I mean, is that really how you want to get the money out? And it's a lot of money, and it could probably be routed better. But, okay, so so as a microeconomist, I guess I'll say that. As a macroeconomist, I will say this. Like, you know, shoving cash into the system, even if you don't do it efficiently, is probably a good idea. Okay. Right. Is, is, there, is there a moral hazard at all? Or at every, at every level of this, I'll ask that, but. Uh, probably not in a dire situation. Okay. You know. Like, I mean, you know, moral hazard. People needed the money. Yeah. I mean, like, look, look there, 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 is, there is definitely going to be some misallocation uh, of this money, and there is going to be some outright fraud. Okay. Um, but even that to a macroeconomist, like as long as the fraudsters go out and go to dinner, you know, <laughs> like when the thing's over, like it, 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 it is still money into the economy. So, and I've had, you know, I actually had a, an interview for an hour last night with a with one of the uh, uh, heads of the St. Louis Fed Research Department, you know, talking about all these issues. And I asked him this, you know, straight up. It's like, do we have to be precise at, uh, at, at where we, you know, try to water the plants? And um, he, he said, not really, you know. Um, so, yeah, th that stimulus is going in. It's probably not well targeted. Um, and... Uh, like, I don't understand why it was done, but it's well, done. Well, well yeah. the average so American has $400 cash in the bank. They need to buy food. It seems like for, for just basic, it, it almost seems like this is a, a, a check to pay people to sit at home rather than a pure stimulus. If that's the case, then I'm totally good with it. You know, like if, if, if you're telling me that somebody doesn't have money for food, for God's sake, let's give them the food and get them to stay home. So, so where I get worried about, uh, fraud but but to your point on a macroeconomic level it might not matter is there's these small business loans the ppp loans the payment protection loans where you could be you could own a restaurant and get like a fifty thousand dollar loan which is two and a half times your monthly payroll and then you could decide you know what i'm not going to reopen my restaurant anyway i'm going to just keep this money and i'll pay it back in whenever and but but to your point you know they'll still spend the money in the economy in some way. And that's the worst fraud I can imagine on this, on the, on that particular package, but it's from a macroeconomic point, it's, it might not have immediate help for the employees who are laid off, but it'll still get into the economy, the money. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's a tragedy. You don't want to give loans to people who are doing stuff like that. On the other hand, it's going to happen. Uh, and you can't really, you know, it's look, it's like anything else. If you want to police it 
really carefully, you're going to end up excluding a lot of people. And if you're willing to have some uh, bad behavior, then you can have a more open and nimble program. Um, and uh, given the severity of the crisis and the speed at which we wanted to react because we wanted people to stay home, uh, I think there was a uh, higher tolerance for misbehavior. But yeah, it's certainly right. going to be there. And look, we're going to have a lot of fun uh, pointing fingers at people when this is over saying, you idiot, you should have known that, and then fill in the blank. And um, you know what I, what I say to those people uh, is I know very few bad people, you know, and I've got some friends who are they're in jail. Yeah, I mean, I do. Uh, prison. They, not they kill people. Prison. But like, you know, but I'm just I'm just saying like like most people are generally uh uh reasonably good. Um but and especially if you're in a decision-making position right now, um you have very limited decision uh information, you know, information to base your decision on. You have um high amounts of pressure and um a hyper focus on your actions and their results and 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 you're like i mean this is i guess what i you know sort of talk to in the book like like one of the reasons startups tend to evolve better innovation stacks is because they're not in the public view like this stuff is a messy process you're going to make mistakes you're going to have to correct you're going to have to do all sorts of stuff that doesn't work and find out that it doesn't work and then quickly um uh, correct and that's just not a process that should be, um, you know, heavily papered by attorneys, you know, right. <laughs> like you just want that stuff happening quickly, um, probably, uh, without a lot of, um, you know, public oversight at the beginning, just because if you, if you ask every question and you listen to every potential problem, um, then you're never going to do anything. Right. But I, but I think though, looking at like even that situation of fraud from a, a macroeconomic level, your concern right now is just making sure the economy gets back up and that there's not deflation and that there's not hyperinflation. It seems like in, in yeah. order, those are some of the federal reserves goals. And, and, and then, and then the next level is you, you want to make sure there's not too much moral hazard, but it doesn't seem like that will take place with these small business loans. But with the unemployment insurance, I'm curious what you think about the fact that some people on unemployment, and by the way, I'm, I'm in favor of all of it, but I, I do think what happens to the people who are on unemployment who are now making more than they were making at jobs, is there a chance that the employment sector gets too heated if the economy comes back too strong too quickly? Um, yeah, I mean, there is that danger and that's, uh, you know, that's like saying if I, if, if I make my Tinder profile too good, I'll have too many dates. You know, like, yeah, it sucks, but it's sort of the problem you want to try to create, you know? So like if we, if we ended up overheating the economy and causing inflation, um, we have really good tools for handling that, you know, that's, that's a known problem and there are probably known solutions. Now, will those solutions work in the new economy? Because the economy is going to be different when this comes out, uh, you know, when this is all over, but you know, most likely that will be something that is, um, that's a problem. Your social profile got got you too much action. Uh, okay, you, you got a different class of yeah. problem there, you know.
Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything 
than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMS app track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's hims.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So so let me add up the numbers a little bit. So there's 2.1 trillion or 2.2 trillion in the in the stimulus package that was passed by Congress and that gets you know handed out through the economy and ultimately we pay for it either through through some combination of you know tax revenues and borrowing more money from you know we 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 I personally think the US can probably sell 100 year bonds at very low interest rates but who knows what mechanism will be used to to borrow uh and and pay for that and then there's that's when the federal reserve uh clicks in and let's say there's a four or five, six trillion dollars of Federal Reserve money going in and, and it doesn't just go into the economy. It also comes back to the Federal Reserve. But yeah. but leaving that aside for a second, you have trillions of dollars going into the economy. And then just just on a basic level, there's something called the money multiplier effect, which I'm sure comes up in your discussions, which is that every dollar into the economy is passed around three, four, five times or more. Like if you buy a newspaper, the newspaper guy buys a donut, yeah. and now the same dollar. We call it the used. velocity of money. That's the right. technical term. Yeah, right. So, so like a dollar put into the economy could have a five dollar effect on the GDP that year. So, because it's just passed around, yeah. uh, depending on the velocity. So, with six, let's say there's five or six trillion dollars additionally in the economy, and it's a twenty trillion dollar economy. Could we be looking at over the next year like some outrageous amount of growth? Like, what, what's, what's a best case and worst case here? Well, I mean, a uh, best case is uh, the 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 patient's in a coma, uh, and you just uh, sh- shot her up with a bunch of steroids, and uh, she gets off the table and uh, opens a Zumba studio, you know, because she's just so pumped up on this stuff, you know, like I, God, I really should not mix analogies like that, um, <laughs> you know, you might, yeah. We'll, we'll see if the, I'm going. I'm going with. We'll it. see I'm if Jay the it. engineer saves me on that one. But like, okay. So you know, best case, you've overstimulated the economy. It it, it wakes up off the table. You know, uh, uh, like some uh, some tranquilized tiger that you didn't give enough uh, a sedative to, 
and uh, you know tears up uh, uh, everything. Yeah, that's that that's possible. Um, but again, I think that's that's the too many Tinder dates problem. Uh, that's one of those problems that boy, if we if if that was the outcome, a a, a massively overstimulated economy uh, where it felt like you know the entire uh, you know the entire economy was you know on meth for a week. Um, well, you know, meth is not good, um, but boy, that first week is probably pretty fun. You know, stayed no, no, with experience. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I do live in Missouri, but you know, uh, no firsthand experience. Um, uh, the, 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 but but to you know, you know, to sort of back it back it down a, a ways. Uh, we hope that that's right. Like the reason, uh, the, the reason the two point two trillion dollars, uh, which is the number you first cited, is is the target number, is because we're expecting a forty percent decrease in economic activity, and uh, the U.S. economy does basically five trillion dollars a quarter in activity. So you lose forty percent of that. That's two trillion. So you sort of you're sort of um, you know taking it out uh, in in one hand with one hand and shoving it back in with the other. Um, but look, these are, these are seven, eight, 12, 15 variable equations. Like nobody really understands how this stuff works, you know? So, I mean, uh, just to give you sort of one head scratcher, like the U S dollar is the reserve currency for the world. So when something goes wrong and let's say it's a problem that we've caused, now I would say the U S did not cause this problem, but let's say it's like just totally the U S's fault. And that, you know, normally in an economy, if you're, country screws up, uh, the world economy punishes you. Okay. That's, that's what happens in, you know, Singapore, like Singapore screws up, Singapore dollar gets a beating. Like that's, that's how world economies work unless you're the U S. Okay. So when the U S screws up, everyone goes, Oh crap, uh, we're in trouble. We need to buy more dollars because instead of the dollar, you know, getting cheaper, it gets more expensive because all of a sudden there's more demand for it worldwide because it is the haven of safety for everybody. So, I mean, boy, does this kill the economists uh, at the Fed? Because you know, you try to you try to have monetary policy, and then all of a sudden uh, it doesn't work. And why? Well, it's because you know you're you're lowering. Uh, you're, you're okay. Give you a simple example. I'm sorry, maybe not a simple example, but close your eyes and just imagine. If the Fed wanted to slow the economy down, what it would do? It would raise interest rates. Okay, so how does that work? Well, we're paying more money for interest on dollars. So you save a dollar, interest rates uh, go up, that dollar will earn more. Okay, so now uh, you're expecting that to slow down the economy because people can't borrow because now dollars cost more. Oh, wait a second. Um what happens is all these foreigners uh, see that the dollar is paying more interest and they start buying dollars. So now there's more demand for dollars. Um, so um, you're, 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 you're essentially counteracting uh, the, the, the monetary policy with fiscal policy. Um, so all this stuff just like they're just no clear uh, – uh, there, there, there are no clear rules, and I, I, I mean, I don't want to sort of knock the folks that, that I that I get to work with, but I will tell you that these are brilliant people who spend the better part of their adult lives studying these behaviors, and and they are they are apolitical. You know, they're not Republican, they're not Democrat, uh, 
and 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 yet they come out of these meetings kind of going, well, we think this is what we're going to do. But but the important word is think. Okay, they're not certain, but they are thoughtful, and these are intelligent, well-meaning people. And I actually love the fact that I. Uh, get to sit in this room. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm almost being punished for a wish that I had. I don't know if I told you about this during our interview before, but when I was sitting there talking to Herb Kelleher, um, you know, the founder of Southwest Airlines, he's, he's, you know, on his second pack of cool menthols and we're having just this great old time down in Texas, you know, and you know, we're not just talking about my book. He's talking about uh, Southwest. He's telling me about the time though he was chair of the Dallas fed during the 2008 financial crisis. Hmm. And I was just thinking, thinking, Oh man, God, that must have been cool. Wow, you're the chair of the Fed in the, in, in the biggest economic upheaval in the last 50 years. I was like, God, that would have been so cool. And now here I am, the deputy chair of the St. Louis Fed, and we've got an even bigger problem. Like, you know, and, and I was like, oh, but like if Herb was still alive, I would call him up and go, dude, I, I'm so sorry. Because it was just a thought that was in my head. And like, it's, it's, these are scary times, and nobody right. knows. Um, but I will tell you that the people who who are making the decisions uh, are the right people. Like I would not, uh, I I I don't have any sort of individual criticisms with any of the people that I work with at the Fed, and that is a very rare statement for me because in most of my organizations, I got some people who are like, "Oh, that guy's got to go," you know. But I'm I'm just in awe of some of these some of these folks. And so 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 let me ask some some basic questions and because I agree with you, there's so much uncertainty. It's hard to really know answers, but I'm just curious what the thinking is on them. So let's say we, we, the economy opens up pretty quickly and people go back to work and the 2.2 trillion has a fast, faster velocity that, you know, it's spent more than people thought. What is there any danger ever of hyperinflation? I'm always asked, what do I think of this package? Is there a risk of hyperinflation? So what's, what, what, what's the basic answer? The basic answer is we've seen no evidence of that, um, and, and and that's 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 the economist's answer. And I'm sorry to have to give you the economist's answer, but I have to give you that's that okay. because, like, there are evidence of hyperinflation in economies where they're not a reserve currency, and they start jacking around with the money supply. So Venezuela, whoo, you know, Argentina, whoo, you know, uh, you know, Weimar Republic, whoo, you know, like you 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 got it, it, examples. Plenty of examples through history, but now you're back to the fact that the U.S. has the reserve econ- a reserve currency for the world. Okay, there tends to be a a a, a damping effect on the uh, on inflation, and we don't fully understand this. So I will say this: that one of the questions we've asked uh, repeatedly at Fed meetings is why couldn't we hit the 2% inflation target? Like we got interest rates really low. Uh, the economy is doing really well. We should, you know, we have employment at a, at a you know, record high. This was before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not, notwithstanding the last five weeks. But like before that, you know, why couldn't we hit the 2% inflation target? Like why couldn't we, like we, you have the, the most powerful central bank in the history of the world trying to create inflation and unable to do so. So when you say, well, Jim, could there be hyperinflation? I'll say, of course, yes, there could be. But then I'll say, I don't understand the mechanism right now where that would be possible. But of course, we're in new times. 
and who knows right. what's going to happen. And and I could certainly show you an equation where that is the result. Um, but again, uh, uh, James, uh, a common problem that I suffer from as an individual is I tend to think of the economy like my bank account. You know, I think, oh, if I save, then I have more to spend later. And if I, you know, am irresponsible for my money and spend it all, then I'll be broke. Well, yeah, that's not how the Federal Reserve works. Like, it's just like they don't go broke, you know, uh, and the national debt is not like your credit card debt. And um, like these are complicated relationships and it just doesn't work quite like that. But unfortunately, the model that I have in my head is, you know, my Visa card balance. And it's just not the same. Right, because, and and just to explain, like people so always say, oh, the Federal Reserve is printing money. It doesn't quite work like that, right? Like if you if you open up the discount window to buy one-day loans, you're, you're putting out a trillion dollars, but then you're getting the trillion dollars back. Yeah, it tends, it tends to go and come very quickly. Um, now, what you don't want to have ultimately is dollars that are sloshing around that don't mean anything, you know? So there is this trust in the currency, uh, that that's, that's important. And, and, and again, you know, back to that, um, that, uh, you know, the, the signaling that the, the, that the fed does as an important function of, you know, of, you know, giving, giving forward guidance, you know, that's, that's an important thing. Um, but as long as there's trust and as long as people don't freak out, um, then, yeah, we're we're pretty good with it. What about, what about if uh, if China? You know, there's all this tension now between the U.S. and China on a variety of levels. What if China says, you know what, screw it, we're selling our the 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 debt we have with the U.S. and we're going to start uh, lending to the EU instead, and 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 we're going to try to make the EU a reserve currency. Well, is that a risk? Yeah, sure. Uh, now let's talk about how they're going to do that. Well, where are you going to dump however many trillion dollars of U.S. debt they have, and 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 how's that going to change the U.S. dollar? So the dollar gets cheap. So all of a sudden, China's exports become super expensive, and mm. their economy goes to hell. And uh, oops, mm. uh, oh sorry, you know. I mean, and we're only three variables into the equation there, and I've already like blown up the Chinese economy. Like, you know, <laughs> you got a twenty-variable equation here, you know. Um, and uh, and this is, you know, without Europe's reaction. Oh, and by the way, you got you know, currency speculators all over that are, you know, sort of gaming the system. You know, I mean, Soros isn't dead yet. I mean, he, you know, he played the British pound for, uh, you know, for a billion uh, uh, about 20 years ago. Like, you know, he, yeah. he's got all, all his disciples are still out there, you know. Like, these guys are, these, it's, again, you can't think of countries like individuals. You can't think of, you know, like, you hate your neighbor, you know, so you're going to let your lawn, you know, go to hell. Uh, as I see you looking at my lawn right now, I, you know, I'm kind of like, well, maybe I hate my neighbor because I, I haven't cleaned up my lawn in a couple of, <laughs> couple of weeks, you know, but the point you're is, projecting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the point is like, you know, it's it, countries aren't like that. I mean, they're kind of like that, but not really, you know, they're, we're so interconnected and, and maybe this is the big, the big thing that people ought to get, I understand like you live in the world, period. You may never see any of it. You may never visit it. But it's there. And if you don't think that a disease that starts in a little, you know, uh, uh, area of China 
is now a worldwide problem, well, you're wrong because it was, you know, um, and that's partially because well, of the physical interconnectedness of the world. But the world is just as much, if not more so, electronically and technically connected. Um, so, you know, this whole thing about like, like it's an American car. Uh, no, it's not. Like half these parts are from overseas and half of the parts of those parts are from overseas. And, you know, like, I mean, maybe... I, I know it's I, I know it's comforting to think of sort of simple models and you have to have simple models um, but simplicity at some point destroys information and um, you know well let me, let, let me ask yeah. this in a, in a different way let's say what would have happened if this panic had never happened right the economy was smooth and as as it was two months ago and Congress passed a $2.2 trillion stimulus package then. What what's what's the bad thing that could happen when you pass a, a multi-trillion dollar stimulus package and the Fed cuts rates to zero when the economy is already fine? Like what would have what would have happened if there was nothing to repair? Well, we might have hit our two percent inflation target. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, like, you know, you do that, um, there would probably be um uh well, I, okay, so so then I, I hate to I hate to sort of be a jerk about this, but like you, you got to tell me how the stimulus package is. Okay, so we got two point two trillion dollars. Are we investing in an infrastructure? Like, does the U.S. sit there and say, "Hey, look, our bridges and roads and internet and I mean everything is deteriorating, and uh, we're going to rebuild that"? Well, actually, that might be good for the economy. Okay, right. I um, see. Do we just purely fund consumption? Well, that's probably less good. You know, or or maybe we fund uh you know a war, so we're actually destroying infrastructure. Oh, that's probably bad. You know, so you know you got to tell me how we're spending it because we have spent a trillion dollars blowing shit up, and yeah, it doesn't usually go well. Right. So, okay. So so in terms of the economy, well, how lo how long can the economy remain closed the way it is right now? So I think the stimulus <sighs> package maybe lent us a month or two months. I don't know. That's just me guessing just because I see, you know, I'm like you, I'm invested in a variety of businesses. I don't have the, um, full access and exposure you have and, and, and all that, but I see s small businesses and storefront businesses, you know, in a lot of pain right now. And I'm sure you see all the, the you obviously see all the data I see just on my street and I, I'm a small business owner as well. I own a comedy club. And we're we're a storefront business. Yeah, and, and a comedy club that's closed right now. Yeah, yeah, and I right, own a, a wedding venue. I mean, like I I own I own an event facility, and uh, like we're keeping we're keeping all our staff, but uh, that's only because like we got lucky and like kind of I'm supporting people, you know, like they yeah. they just they just happened to work for somebody who was like in a personal position to you know, sort of pay some paychecks. And we are actually applying for the PPP program, you know, because that's what it's for. Um, so, sure. yeah. Sure. And so and so the PPP program, from from my perspective, seems like it will help for a month, month and a half. Uh, you know, I know it's two and a half X payroll, but there's other expenses that businesses have. You yeah. can't defer rent forever. And, uh, uh, you know, you're, if you're a restaurant, your food goes bad and, and so on. So, how long do you think, I mean, some, some economists and some other professionals are saying, oh, we need to stay closed for 18 months until there's a vaccine, which to me sounds ridiculous, but I've, I've been more in the camp of like, 
a month. But what what do you see from the Federal Reserve side? So I can actually give you two really interesting answers here because I'm both on the Federal Reserve and I'm also on the Board of Trustees of Washington University, which has one of the world's best medical schools. And uh, we developed um, the SARS mouse. So um, uh, for those who care, SARS, which is sort of what Zika, sort of what we're, we're dealing with on COVID-19, um, to test the vaccine, we developed a mouse model that you test the vaccine on. And the mice come, they're St. Louis mice. Like all the mice have Cardinals fans. Like if you're going to test a vaccine, you're going to test it on a little Cardinals mouse. Um, and so I, this week, gave a bunch of money to WashU to accelerate their testing and their mouse models and a vaccine trial. So I, I'm going to give you two answers, one that you didn't ask. Um, and that is, I just, two hours before speaking to you, got off with the head of the medical school and the very researchers who were doing this work. And the good news is <clears throat> that we have a mouse that we think is going to be um, uh, ready for production or ready for testing for human vaccines uh, very, very quickly using this really clever technique where we don't actually have to even raise the mice. We don't have to raise a new generation of mice. We can actually go and sort of re-engineer existing mice, which is wonderful. Um, so that will allow uh, vaccines to be tested in a way that you just don't want to do on humans. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, whatever your thought of animal testing is, I'd, 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 I'd rather lose a mouse than, you know, a neighbor. Uh, so so there, there's some good news there. Uh, there's some more good news, and that is the Zika vaccine um, was developed at WashU. And uh, the people who did that have already gotten some of the Zika tech to uh, go towards coronavirus. So there's some help. And I asked the guy who was doing it, the actual person who, uh, who who built all this stuff, uh, the actual scientist, I've spoken with him this afternoon, and I said, you know, how quickly? And the quickest they're expecting, 18 months. Okay. And that's with everybody that pedal to the metal. Well, and that's because it takes 12 months just to test for safety on humans. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and thank God we got this mouse. Otherwise, it would take two years, you know. But so, I mean, like, this is good news, folks, but it does not mean that we're going to have, you know, sort of a shot you can go to get, get, uh, get clear. The, the most promising thing is rapid testing. So what we have right now from an economist perspective, so I'm going to get back in and answer the question you really asked, um, which is we have tens of millions of healthy employees, health, healthy workers who should be out there doing their stand-up sets. Okay. <laughs> Like, like those, those are not your healthiest workers, but well, I get the point. It's true. I mean, but dude, like if there's any time for, for somebody like you to grab a mic and make a guy like me laugh until he wets his pants, you know, like, like, please, please do it now. You know, like, like, uh, 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 you know, uh, the, 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 just call me every time you leave a Federal Reserve meeting. I'll have jokes prepared. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I mean, uh, you know, and I, 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 I you know, I, I didn't think it was a coincidence that, you know, a decade ago, marijuana was illegal. And now dispensaries in Illinois are considered essential and are staying open. Like, right. you know, have some fun with that. But the point is, we should we have we have productive workers who should be producing. And, and the way we have shut the economy down is not the way an economist would do it. It's the way a virologist would do it. Um, the way an economist would do it would be to incentivize 
testing so that people who made tests made billions of dollars. And so you have a lot of entrepreneurs making tests and building innovation stacks about testing. And you're going to get some novel, crazy tests out there. But one of them is going to work really well. And then once we have testing, then we have the ability to you know, sort of semi-reopen the economy. So your question, which was how long can we stay in a coma and then get off the table? Uh, the, the, the best guess right now is that as long as we can continue pumping stimulus in, that we will be groggy but sentient when we want to wake up. I guess what I get afraid of is, and, and because there's so much uncertainty, there's not, you know, I appreciate that there's not really a, a, an answer, but what I get afraid of is after a few months, essentially every small business will just throw their hands up in the air yeah. and, they'll, and, and we're going to come, every month that goes by, the new normal is going to be another you know, standard deviation different. Yeah. And, uh, and then I don't, nobody knows what that looks like in three, four months. Are, we're going to come back to an economy that's just, you know, run by online delivery and, and that's it, you know, and then, and then basically everyone's gonna have to start new businesses. Yeah. Um, that's the terrifying prospect. And I mean, I can sit here and guess like anybody else, what might happen, but I have no reason to make better guesses than anybody else. Um, and, and so when you said you had a, like a brutal meeting earlier, so obviously so today the data was, uh, just because people will listen to this in a few days today, the data was, there was over 5 million of new unemployment insurance claims and also housing starts were 22% down. And then retail sales are, are down across the board, except for maybe yep. groceries. And, uh, all of that is scary and, and all of that is record breaking, but at the same time, correct me if I'm wrong, some of those unemployment numbers because of the new rules of the stimulus package, some of those are part-time workers. Some of those are self-employed. So they're getting a paycheck and, 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 and a lot of them are furloughed workers. So the sooner the economy opens, furloughed workers translate right back into employees fairly quickly. Correct. It is not typical unemployment numbers in any way, either, either, either by their magnitude or the way they're actually counted. We've, we've changed both things simultaneously. Yeah. This is not right, a controlled and, experiment. And, <laughs> right, right. There's no, there's yeah. no other country yeah. that's, dying right now. Yeah, well, I mean, kind of Sweden. You know, Sweden seems to be, uh, you know, doing doing the uh, herd immunity thing. And uh, my wife is Swedish, so uh, we follow that pretty quickly or pr pretty closely. But um, well, well, it seems like that yeah. model's working. Like their curve doesn't seem to be that much different than our curve. And, you know, do you think, and, and I'll get back to the economy stuff in a second, but do you think that could have been a viable alternative for us or even now? Uh, like if we reopen the economy now and try and try that? Uh, no. I don't think so in the United States. Look, stuff works. Socialism works in Sweden. It doesn't work here. Okay. Right. Like, like it's just not, we're, we're a different sort of group. Uh, group behavior is different. The way that people think is different. The way their news works is different. I mean, you've got so many different things in Sweden. Um, it's just totally different. There's also a natural social distancing there. Like they're not as a uh, touchy feely. Oh no, yeah. Yeah. There's they're, no cities like New York city, which is, you know, has this, germ filled, you know, subways and so on. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't hug, uh, uh, anyone named Magnus, you know? <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, I, I would say this, uh, we, we don't have a, you know, we don't have a test case here. Uh, so we just don't know. Um, we're hoping that it's going to work out, but almost certainly businesses are going to be destroyed. Um, and people are going to find themselves uh, in, in very, very changed 
circumstances. Some people will be relatively better prepared for that. Um, and that's sort of this weird thing that I've been noticing is that, you know, sort of the, the focus of most of my work, uh, at least research-wise, have been on this sort of crazy class of people who end up solving new problems. And those folks are, you know, at best, at best two or 3%. You know, if you look at most of the people in the world, uh, they're doing things that have been done before. They're known, you know, if you're an attorney, you can be really creative as an attorney, but you're, you're basically following the rules that the attorneys follow. And if you're opening up, uh, you know, small businesses, you're probably going to follow those, you know, and, and I, I made this study of people thinking that nobody, but a small percentage of people were ever going to be potentially interested in the stuff that I was looking at. And now the whole world's there. And even if you don't think you're there, even if you think your business is safe, I will tell you that when this is over, whenever that is, you will enter a changed world. And we may not have uh, people like, like right now, I really want to go out and socialize. And like, if they released everybody today, I think you'd have the Iceland effect, which is like Iceland has, you know, terrible winter. So everybody stays inside. But then when it's summertime, they party their faces off. Right. Um, but what if, after a while, we just all become hermits. Like, what after a while? What what happens after a while when you, you just get so used to the new normal? You kind of go, well, I actually don't really want to go out anymore. Like, I, I just I'm just so happy with Netflix and Tiger King and you know these <laughs> phone interviews that I'm just never going to go to James Comedy Club anymore. You know, I'll just you know set up a webcam, man. I, uh, but I'm never you're I, never going to sell that, me a drink. You know, that's definitely partially. Go, at least partially going to happen. My worry is every month this continues partially turns into probably. Yeah, it does. It does. And unfortunately, James, nobody knows uh, what the coefficient is. You know, if we knew, we could sit there and make a decision and say, well, I'm sorry, we're going to have to uh, let a bunch of people die because if we don't, you know, more people will die because the economy will be completely trashed and that has known uh, health effects as well. Well, yeah, but right. We so so when, do people, when do people make that uh, mathematical decision? Like, because there's collateral fatalities from, you know, closing down the hospitals for other illnesses. Yeah. And there's collateral fatalities from every decrease in GDP. So uh, I have not seen the economic data on that. And I would say that I would bet with all the research that's going on at the Federal Reserve and other economic uh, think tanks that, that people are trying to ask those questions. But again, I don't think those are, I mean, those are very, very un uncomfortable questions. And um, you know, I have a, I have a 93 year old uncle, you know, um, and, uh, he's in the hospital right now and I'm really worried about him. And I don't think of him as a statistic. Although if I told you, well, there's a 93 year old man, you know, who's in the hospital right now with pneumonia, you'd pretty much say, oh, SARS, you know, or, uh, COVID-19, you know, but, um, you, you know, what you just talked about is, 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 is a calculation that can be made but it is way above my pay grade to think about that. I can, I can sort of state the problem, but I would not feel like if it's, if it, if it's, if it's not manifestly clear to you right now, I'm really good at making obvious decisions. It's, it's <laughs> the subtle ones where, uh, you know, you can't know that, you know, I guess and go, and I'm frequently wrong. And and I would hate to say right now that it's time to 
to reopen the economy because a lot of people will die. And the herd immunity that they've got in Sweden, look, Sweden's got a way better healthcare system. Sorry, they do, you know? Hmm. Um, now, I would say that, you know, St. Louis might be okay because I think our hospital system here is, is actually going to handle the peak next week. Like it's supposed to. So great news if you live in St. Louis. Uh, sucks where but, you but are. Even, like I've been to your no, house. But, like you don't want to get sick right now. <laughs> no, I definitely don't. But it seems like New York City handled, you know, the, the I don't know for sure because it's, there's, the, but hospitalizations have been going down quite a bit in the past week or so. And it seems like the healthcare system, we, we, it seems like we succeeded in flattening the curve. Although in, in terms of not overwhelming the healthcare system, like New York City's returning the ventilators. I, I, I'm, I'm super proud of the doctors. I mean, like I, I know some folks who practice in that area and, um, oh my God, they're, you know, literally heroes. Cause you know, you're walking into a situation that could literally kill you, uh, right. and doing your job every day. Um, so yeah, uh, look, there's, there's, there, there, are going to be a lot of heroes from this. Um, that said, I don't know. I, I, I'm not the guy to have an opinion on, on, on when to reopen. It's, it's not an obvious enough decision for me to have an opinion yet. Most of the stuff so, I so, is obvious. Right. And, and I guess, I guess the real issue is, is that we, we all have to be comfortable with living with uncertainty here because it seems like the basic outline of the problem is that for every month, something else will change in the economy, probably to the negative or, or sideways best case. And we just have to figure out how many months can we tolerate that? And how many months can we fund either through congressional stimulus or federal reserve tools? Yeah. And, 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 and there's uncertainty in terms of how many months is needed. Th that is correct. And so basically the, the equation that I look at is how quickly are we going to get testing out there? Not, not a vaccine, not a treatment, but how quickly are we going to get testing out there so that we can then implement um, a more efficient semi-shutdown of the economy? So if you're sick, you sit on the sideline and we know if you're sick and if you're likely to be sick, maybe we sideline you, but otherwise the healthy people get back to work. That would be as, as, as ideal a situation as I could hope for right now. Um, but you know, I, I should, I should also say something good. Cause I think this has been sort of a depressing, like if I listened to this whole conversation and sort of, you know, <laughs> took the, you know, took the sum total of what we've been talking about, like it, it, it's gotta be sort of chilling. Um, I, I would say this, you know, one of the weird things that I noticed in studying companies that have had these sort of world changing effects on their, their industries is that every one of them, and I didn't highlight this in the book, and I should I should probably go add another chapter to this to the book because like like this was a phenomenon I I sort of noticed it, but I didn't really notice this until we were in the middle of this uh, COVID nineteen thing. Every one of these companies started with a terrible disaster. Okay, so Bank of America, which biggest bank in the world for a while used to be called Bank of Italy, started by A.P. Giannini in San Francisco a year before the great San Francisco earthquake. Okay? Think about that as disruption, right? Yeah. So you have your entire city wiped out. Like the, a third of the population was homeless. A third homeless. You know, the buildings were smoking. And Giannini, in that environment, had an innovation stack that allowed him to essentially build a new banking system. Like what you think of as banking right now, he invented literally in the ashes of a earthquake and fire ravaged city. 
And then you look at Southwest, like my conversations with Kelleher, like he was telling me war stories of stuff that was, you know, unconscionably uh, uh, brutal and how it how it created this different. He, Herb called it a warrior mentality. Um, but it's and, and again. None of these guys wanted to be in those positions. They just found themselves in the, those positions and then happened to have a skill set that really suited the circumstances. So, it, you know, uh, like I'm not saying we're in good circumstances right now, but I will tell you this. The current chaos is going to disproportionately benefit certain people. And right now uh, is it, 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 there, this is a crucible that will forge some, some tremendous innovation. And it's going to be brutal to do, but uh, – but that's usually kind of how it goes. So, what, what's what's an example? I, I know this is hard to predict too, but what's an example of how somebody might benefit o other than medical? Like, if someone makes the vaccine or the, the cure, that's a huge benefit. But what other than medical? Like, what are some ancillary effects that that you guys you think might happen, or the Federal Reserve think might happen, or oh, so, or so, whatever? So here's one. Um, uh, uh, there's huge bias in the world. Okay, uh, racial, sexual, age bias. All these things. And you know, the, the, the best way to perpetuate bias is little clubs, okay? So your country clubs, your private clubs, your, you know, just expensive restaurants where poor people can't congregate or parts of town where uh, folks can't get in or, or elite universities where, you know, certain people. So, so if you look at the, you look at the biases that are, are perpetuated, a lot of people uh, are excluded um, because we have these social systems that perpetuate the bias okay um and and you could cut that anyway like like i'm too poor to live in new york so i don't get the opportunities that a new yorker has you know or something like that but or or maybe i'm yeah wh whatever what we're doing right now is we're destroying a lot of the fabric of those social connections that perpetuate those biases and we're replacing them with systems that are inherently less biased because well, they can't be. I mean, how hard is it? Like, like every little Zoom square is the same little Zoom square. Like, it's hard for me to really get, you know, sort of upset about somebody's skin color or where they went to school or any of that other stuff that I can't even see. Well, maybe I can see skin color. Um, but, like, most of the other stuff sort of falls away. So Right. You make a good point. Like, racists must be really unhappy at the moment because they can't go outside right they're just they're just seeing people in their house yeah so. i mean it's like not in my neighborhood who knows who lives in your neighborhood like nobody opens their doors you know um but but but, but the point is i think that's a huge positive thing that could come out like you you may have a talent pool um that is a little different that looks a little different um and the reason it would look different is the same reason orchestra started to look different when they went to blind auditions. You know, if you just sit behind the screen and play a cello, you could be female. Like the number of females in major orchestras like shot through the roof when they went to blind auditions. It wasn't because, you know, there weren't great female musicians. It was because there was this bias in, you know, and, and, and you know, the, the, the people who ran symphonies didn't think of themselves as biased, but they had it. And, and so they had to force themselves to not know who was playing. Um, we're about to put a blind audition in front of a lot of things that heretofore were not that way. And 
I think a lot of cool stuff's going to come out of that. We may actually supercharge the economy, not by all this stimulus, but by just getting super productive people off the sidelines who, oh, really? I didn't know you could do that. Well, uh, I can't, you know, so let me do it, you know, and, and I'm, I'm hoping well, stuff like that happens and I, I, I'm betting a lot of it will. Yeah. And, and, and so I guess, so there's two sides of that, right? There's on the one side, you have human beings that their life situations are changing. So for better or for worse, they might have to start re-innovating, start new businesses, figure out how to, you know, make the best of this new normal. On the other side, what I wonder is how long can the Fed and Congress keep footing the bill for closing down the U.S. economy? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. No. Because like, what could happen if they can't afford it anymore? Well, I mean, I, mean, I know no they question. can always print. Okay, so let me just put it this way. There's no question we could afford it, okay? The U.S. economy can afford it. Now, uh, can the political system uh, enforce it? That's the question. I mean, th there is, from just raw numbers perspective, we can absolutely afford this. We can we can afford to do it. No problem. Um, do we have the political will once things are not in a panic uh, to do what we know we need to do? Uh, hopefully. What, what do you mean? Like what, what's, uh, what might we need to do? Um, so we may need to reopen the economy by using some sort of tracking. So let's say we've got testing. Okay. So now you've got testing that works really well, but you would need to tell if I'm able to work or not. And let's, let's also assume for a second that people are not going to be good actors. And then some people who, uh, are in, infected and should, should be isolated, but don't feel bad themselves go, screw it. I feel fine. I'm going to work. Okay. But we can't let this person go to work. So what's our mechanism for keeping them at home? Well, we have to track them in some way, which means right. we have to, uh, ask how much of their civil liberties we're going to violate and, uh, how much of their, you know, uh, freedom we are going to take away in order to protect everybody else. And that's a decision not for economists, but for politicians. And that is a decision that can't be um, easily made. But you're saying, though, that the Federal Reserve and, and Congress borrowing money, that can, that can be ongoing for more than one month. That could be six months. That could be however long as needed. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, yeah. I mean, we could, we could probably go many, many months uh, economically, not well off, but viable, you know. And so, and so, uh, and again, we'll 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 reemerge in this new normal. And so, I'm curious from your vantage point of having started Square, and I don't know your full level involvement at the moment, but do you see data of any pockets of the economy that seem to be, uh, yeah, at least the mom and pop comedy economy that Square serves? Do you see any pockets that? are flourishing in surprising ways? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, deliveries going through the roof. Um, there are some remote personal services that are really popular right now. Um, uh, actually a lot of therapists and music teachers are going online and it, yeah, I, 
I I go I go to teletherapy. Yeah, had had this morning. It's great. Yeah, never never have to go to my doctor's office again. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you don't have to read People magazine in your life ever again. Right. You know that 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 creepy copy of People they have. Um, uh, but you know, I think there's um, you know, th there's a handful of those that are, you know, that are benefiting. The the thing that I've seen that is you know, sort of heartwarming is, you know, we've seen a lot of adaptation of some of the tools that Squares built, um, to support local businesses. Like we're seeing companies uh, use our gift card program to basically take donations from their customers. So a customer who wants to keep whether their favorite restaurants open would pre-purchase a couple hundred bucks worth of gift cards from that uh, restaurant. And, you know, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, and it's not just the hundred bucks. Okay. It's the love letter that you get with it. Like it's the, it's the, it's the fact that one of your customers cares so deeply for you that they're willing to, you know, take on somewhat of a economic risk and bet on your future. And, you know, it doesn't take too many of those hundred dollar gifts cards before you feel like empowered. You don't feel alone. You don't feel like, well, my company's going to go under and I'm by myself. You're feeling like, well, somebody cares, you know? And even if well, it's, it's a such street, a great idea, yeah, because it, it's better than using a, a GoFundMe just to kind of keep things going. Because here, it, it's more like crowdfunding in the sense that you're getting a sense that these are all future customers, and your, you know, your best future customers are your older customers. So this is a way of of keeping that connection with them in a, in a customer business relationship. Yeah, I mean, and uh, you know, it's it's heartwarming because again, I don't think anyone at Square thought of that program, right? That was one of our customers or one of our, you know. Square users just saying, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this tool you built and use it for something you never intended it for." Um, you know, it's like uh, it's, it's it's you know, gift cards is like a virtual tip jar. I mean, who knew? But what a great idea! Or it's not even a tip jar. It's it's like that you know, it's like that that that, that Valentine you get from your grandma that's got you know a little five dollar bill in there and and says you know, love your grandma. I mean, it's. These are these are heartwarming gestures, and I think, especially at a time where people are scared, uh, that sort of connection is really wonderful. And and we're seeing examples of stuff like that. Let me ask you this: because Square is now getting involved in you know some of these small business loans and and so on, a lot of and you mentioned a lot of businesses that you're dealing with are either mostly unbanked or semi-unbanked. There's a huge part of the population in the U.S. that really is unbanked, so they, they their banking system is pawn shops for loans and, and payday loans, like, you yeah. know, cash centers. Yeah. And, you know, those are, are companies too, that need lines of credit so that they can support lending to their customers. You know, the customers come in with collateral in these days, the customers don't have bank accounts, so they're not getting the, yeah. um, direct deposit checks. So they bring in, you know, their last gold watch or their silverware or whatever to be pawned. They borrow money at, you know, 15% interest rates or higher pawn shops run out of cash because the lines are too big to, to, to collateralize all, all the, all the unbanked could square kind of, because you're familiar with that sector of the economy can square, get involved there and provide lines of credit to those types of businesses. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, we do have the cash app, which is huge among the unbanked. And, uh, there are millions of people who we know for a fact don't have bank accounts that are Square Cash users, and they're, you know, good people. You know, they're they're using our app, you know, for for the stuff they need to use it for, 
and uh, we provide uh, you know certain credit services to them. Um, you know, we, we don't go as far as the payday lenders. We don't do any of that stuff. Uh, um, we are actually uh, experimenting with some some new lending products right now, and we actually think that um, uh, the the cash app, because of the demographic that we reach, is a really special tool that uh, we hope the government's going to use. And and as a matter of fact, I was talking to the cash app team last week um, because they're doing a bunch of stuff with treasury and treasury's working with the fed. So, uh, my two worlds collided again and it was, uh, really this wonderful thing to see the government working with, uh, a tech company that's working with the underbanked. So yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's a general yes. Now that said, um, you know, I'm a cash app user this morning. I got an email uh, alert saying that uh, you know the uh, government stimulus checks, uh, which a lot of people can't deposit because they don't have uh, banking accounts. Uh, Square's now created these virtual banking accounts, so you could take your stimulus check mm-hmm. into your Cash App. Now, you know, if if you're a you know n- person who's connected to the normal banking system, that's not a big deal. You know, because you've got a you've got a bank account, you can receive money. But if you're underbanked or unbanked, it's a huge deal. And right. by the way, those are the people who are most at risk. So, I'm I'm happy that we've got those those rails laid down. I mean, you know, fortunately for us, we've been at it for five years. Well, more than that, but growing like crazy for the last five. So, so Jim, uh, it's so great to as as usual to get your perspective from both the Federal Reserve side get your perspective as an entrepreneur, to get your perspective from the square side, which deals with millions of people in, in financial circumstances and, and difficult financial circumstances. And this is a, a, a trying time. So I'm, I'm grateful you had the, the, the time to, to spend. Oh, you mentioned just to, just to conclude, you mentioned the, it was a brutal federal reserve meeting because of all the data. What's the actual data that people are, are concerned about right now? Was it, it it's too it, much? It's, it's all the stuff you, you mentioned. And, and look, when I say brutal, I mean, uh, the the chief economist started off by saying, "We're on a roller coaster. We knew we were getting on a roller coaster, and this is the first giant drop, you know. And here we go. I, you know. I think I think you're the. I guess you're forced to deal with the data as it comes up. Whereas I kind of assume when I look at this data is that the best policy is to ignore it because as the stimulus hits, combined with the economy opening either fully or in stages." We're going to see a different kind of data. Yes. We're going to see forty percent annualized growth instead of forty percent <laughs> annualized decrease. Yeah, I mean, let's hope, right? You're like I, 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 the 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 best hope and the prediction of the guy who I most respect at the Fed, uh, which is Jim Bullard, um, is that uh, we're we're likely to have a V-shaped recovery. So I don't have a, a, a strong opinion on that because I'm not into the numbers uh, well enough to. To, to have a, a fact-based opinion. So I'll just echo the fact that Bullard, who runs the St. Louis Fed and is thoughtful and brilliant and non-emotional um, and is not afraid to say something that is unpleasant or unpopular, if in fact that's what he believes, has said this thing that I think is pretty heartening, which is that, yeah, we're probably going to have a pretty sharp bounce back. Um, uh, I, now, there are probably a bunch of asterisks 
uh, that should be put on that statement. But uh, yeah, like does yeah. he have a does he have a timeline where that prediction doesn't work anymore? I I, like, I have not been able to get that out of him. I I asked him, he's, <laughs> and you know you know he's not he's not rebuffing me. He's just like we don't know yet. Like we're looking at the data and we don't yeah. So um, again, this is a precise man. He's very very thoughtful. And 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 final question is, you know, let's say this reopens. Who knows when? One month, six months, whenever. Are you? going to visit New York City or are you going to be like oh no I'm I'm staying away from New York City for a while No 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 I was I was there up until the bitter end and um you know my wife and well I was trying to launch the book <laughs> in the middle of SARS you know in, in the middle of you know SARS-CoV-2 uh, or you know COVID-19 like I I was there and I uh Yeah Yeah I remember yeah, I was I was in town and I bailed out on the last flight out of out of out of the city um and i love new york i mean you know my my mom's from new york um i feel very at home in the city it's a great place uh st louis is my hometown i'm not gonna you know deny that but uh, new york is sort of a second home to me and i love it uh, i'll be back the second uh you know uh the second i can be and you know let's hope uh that uh that that people want to come out when it's over i i think they will i think you're going to see an Icelandic rebound, which is people have been locked up and they're going to ready to, you know, reschedule that wedding that uh, they got postponed and, and, you know, see friends who maybe they become closer to because we now have more time to socialize with our friends. But, you know, boy, you know, like I remember you invited me to your comedy club and I haven't, I haven't been able to do that, but I really want to do that. I'm not just saying that. I was like, oh yeah, I want to take my wife, but you know, I got to get a babysitter and all that other stuff. But like, like, <laughs> That's on my list of now, like super important things to do because God, wouldn't you want to do that? And, you know, and I, I hope it's smoky and I hope the drinks are expensive, you know, like that's what the drinks are expensive and I'll make sure they don't water yours down because we watered down everybody else's. So oh no, <laughs> we'll keep, we'll keep you going. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> One cannot ask for more. Well, uh, Jim McKelvey, again, your book, the innovation stack is uh, a very inspiring book and also a really good guidebook for today's entrepreneurs. Like I love the concept of an innovation stack, which you describe in the book. And I, and again, I really love the, the idea of focusing on, or at least looking at huge underserved communities for building, you know, the next wave of businesses. And I, and I think that is going to be a byproduct of what happens, you know, as we come out of this and, and hopefully Bullard is right. We have this V-shaped recovery. So again, I, I, I know you're busy. I really respect the time you spent and, uh, and appreciate it. And, you know, you're always welcome to come on again. I'm sure I'll reach out again. So, so thanks for coming on. James, thank you so much. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.